I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Gather around the campfire, everyone. It's time for The, the Connor and Smith Show. I almost forgot. Um, tell us a story. Um, well, I'm talking today about uh, the first interstellar object that came into our solar system. I know we've been doing local so far this week, but you know. Uh, the stars and the cosmos are always something uh, amazing to ponder, and yeah, and I think with the the um, this, the hugeness of of the stars and how how many galaxies there are, I think we could call this a local sighting. Yeah, I'm, I bought this uh, thing from the Michaels across the street. It's a framed picture of the stars, and it just says "Look up," and I love it. Because human beings so seldom do, we're so frequently looking down at our phones. And, and also, look up means, like, look up things on Google. Look up things in the library. Just a question, always. Um, so, Oumuamua was... Wait, um, say that all together now. One, two, three. Oumuamua is a Hawaiian word meaning scout scout so if you want to be really clever at the next like ladies luncheon <laughs> you can be like hey so are you going to the girls Oumuamua meeting or I see what you did there yeah or uh, where else could you use it um, anyway continue um <laughs> so this object was either cigar shaped or cookie shaped we can't tell it was so far away like a foot long sub yeah a space sub um like a submarine oh a submarine sandwich that's where that comes from i'm so dumb all right so uh this object came into our solar system uh gosh it was 2018 i think um now when you say it comes into the solar system and you may not know this answer but I'm, I'm assuming if you're looking at like a, a space chart, they would be able to say which section of the solar system it kind of came from. Yes. Do you know what, where it came from? If I told you, you wouldn't know. You'd have to kill me. Yeah. Um, it, it came from a neighboring solar system. It came from a neighboring... It came from a neighborhood. So if our solar system is the big circles going around the sun, um, this came in halfway through the circle let's say on right. an angle right so this this podcast is not for a flat earther this is for someone who believes the earth is round yeah hopefully that's i i hope we don't have any flat earthers listening um because you're wrong anyway um so the object comes in it goes uh, around the sun. It doesn't obey the laws of our solar system. Like it's not. It doesn't enter and go. Oh, I guess I'll go around the sun now. It goes straight through the cyclical arc to the sun. Goes around it and then zooms, accelerates out of our solar system. So this is basically like those people who ride bicycles and don't really obey the laws. Just the worst. And they just kind of zoom around the sun and around corners and they make up their own rules right I just can't even talk about them so the next time you see a biker you can be like oh mua mua <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so stupid I'm I'm totally derailing this it's okay podcast. that's your job um, <laughs> so there's a there's a scientist named Avi Loeb who wrote a book about a mua mua 
uh, called extraterrestrial. And it's Avi. Avi Loeb. Loeb. Yeah. The first sign of intelligent life beyond Earth. So, this guy... Uh, let's, let's just give you his credits so you know who he is. He's not a hack. Uh, he is the Frank B. Baird Jr. Professor of Science at Harvard University. Oh. Where he was the longest serving chair in the history of the astro- astronomy department from 2011 to t- 2020. Um, where he directs the Black Hole Initiative and the Institute for Theory and Computation. He's a member of the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology, as well as the advisory board for the educational platform Einstein Visualize the Impossible. He also chairs the advisory committee for the Breakthrough Starshot Initiative and the Board of Physics and Astronomy of the National Academies, and serves as the science theory director for all initiatives of the Breakthrough Prize Foundation. So he, he, he's not a slouch. He's, he's not a he, tabloid guy. He's definitely somebody you want on your like science fair kickball team, if you know what I mean. Right. But he um, and his uh, colleague uh, came up with a theory of, okay, there's, there's a, the theory of the, the, Occam's razor is a theory that says, you know, when you eliminate everything else, the most obvious thing is probably the true thing. But he took it to a different way and says eliminating all else, he eliminated the possibilities that it's what uh, other scientists thought it was. Um, So I just want to read you a few sections because it's interesting. Of course, there is a stigma in the science world about speaking out against or speaking out for, you know, UFOs or aliens or anything else. And he believes that that attitude is not uh, productive. Because if we look and never question or see and eliminate some possibilities because it just can't be, um, you're going to miss something. That's that's his, what he believes. Um, so when he wrote this book or wrote this opinion that led to this book, Uh, This is what he says. The outpouring of popular interest, which only grew with the release of our paper, seemed ironic, too, when I considered the relative tameness of the hypothesis. Just a year earlier, following reports of an anomaly having to do with hydrogen atoms, which had been found to be colder than expected in the early universe, I published a paper with another Harvard postdoc, Julian Munoz, showing that if the dark matter was made of particles that possessed a tiny electric charge, they would cool the cosmic hydrogen and account for the reported anomaly. Even though this hypothesis was published in Nature, and even though that's Nature the magazine, and even though it was far more speculative than my and Bialy's hypothesis about Oumuamua being alien technology, it garnered much less attention. To be clear, although I made myself as available as my commitments allowed, I neither sought the limelight nor particularly enjoyed it. In the past, when I had set out to draw attention to my work, as with the Starshot Initiative, I was grateful when even a few members of the press responded. And while I had undergone extensive professional training in various fields throughout my life, no one, especially me, had thought to include media training. In hindsight, maybe someone should have. Astronomy and astrophysics are fields that frequently require substantial commitments of time and money, and harnessing the public's awareness of what is possible and what might be necessary cannot be an afterthought. Um, 
so what he's saying is I don't think he thought that when he came up with this theory it was going to be that controversial and you have to think about analytical thinkers like that um, you know I know a lot of people who have designed things on higher levels than I can ever imagine but can't remember to shut a car door it, you you kind of your brain is on another level of thinking and you're not thinking oh if I said that this is you know maybe alien technology it might ruffle feathers here's something else in July 2019 the Oumuamua team of the International Space Science Institute published their unambiguous conclusion in Nature Astronomy magazine we find no compelling evidence to favor an alien explanation for Oumuamua the immediately preceding paragraphs declared that the extraterrestrial technology theory that Bialy and I put forward as provocative but baseless. Yet the article also ends with a list of unanswered Oumuamua anomalies, what the authors termed open questions. They also acknowledged that only after the advanced telescope at the Vera C. Rubin Observatory in Chile was fully operational might we have sufficient data to determine how common or rare the properties of Oumuamua are. Uh, it was never my intent to become what the science journalist Michelle Starr labeled me, Harvard astrophysics enfant terrible. My attitude toward anomalies remains what it has been since my first day of grade school, quizzical and questioning. I pause long enough to wonder what might follow if I pursue one course of action or another. When Starr asked Matthew Knight, an astronomer, uh, astronomer, astronomer at the University of Maryland and one of the scientists on the Oumuamua team to sum up the team's finding, he declared, we have never seen anything like Oumuamua in our solar system. It's really a mystery still. And then added, but our preference is to stick with analogs we know. Fair enough, but what happens when we start from the mystery end of the trench rather than the familiar analogs end? That's an interesting statement. Um, in sticking with what you know, are you missing something you don't know? Um, here's another little passage. In short, if Oumuamua was a natural object, it had to have been generated by a planet, planet formation. It also has to belong to an unknown class of objects generated by planet formation whose size, shape, and composition make them deviate from a path shaped solely by our sun's gravity without any visible outgassing. At the time of this writing... Wait, wait, wait. Outgassing? So... Gas coming from the object? So like a comet tail? Oh, yeah. Got it, got like it. Like ice on a comet that evaporates is what propels it? Yeah. As at the time of this writing, we know of no other object that fits the second set of criteria, but we know of at least one that fits the first. So this is where it gets interesting. Oumuamua is not the first, well, it is, well, the, the first that we know of interstellar object. Soon after, there was a second. Not long after the discovery of Oumuamua, we encountered our second interstellar object. By the time you read this book, we may well have found others. This second interstellar object is named 21-slash-Borisov, after, um, I'm not going to say this name right, Gennady Borisov, a Russian engineer and amateur astronomer who on August 30th, 2019, using a 65-centimeter telescope of his own construction, identified the object in the skies above Crimea. And it was Borisov who first ascertained that its trajectory was hyperbolic. Just as had been true for Oumuamua, 21 Borisov was moving too fast to be gravitationally bound to the sun. And so just like Oumuamua, 21 Borisov 
had come from outside our solar system and was on a path that would send it through and beyond our solar system. But otherwise, 21 Borisov was unremarkable. It was an interstellar comet uh, without question, and for this reason it was distinctive. Any interstellar object is a rarity, but its distinctness, uh, it, distinctiveness ended there. Its comma and outgassing resembled our solar system's comets, Outgassing in all stop it in all characteristics. Twenty one Borisov was icy and decidedly not exotic. The point is that the discovery of twenty one Borisov did not help us move toward a naturalistic explanation for the exotic Oumuamua. If anything, it did the opposite by underscoring how special Oumuamua truly was. Um, <laughs> he writes, "When I met my wife and realized how special she was, I married her." The many people I have encountered since then do not take away from her unique qualities. They only add to my sense of wonder at how rare she is. Well, that's very cute. Um, but, but also true and interesting. Um, what, uh, as I search for the next thing I want to read, what, do you, what are your takeaways so far, Maddie? Besides outgassing. <laughs> right. Yeah, the next time you're at the ladies' luncheon, just Don't say... outgas. <laughs> <laughs> Eunice? Are you outgassing again? That salad made me outgas. Um, it seems to me that maybe a lot of this is about sort of taking responsibility for what you are about to present for good or for bad, but thinking about the outcome a little bit as well as what you're researching. Sure. Because you don't want to cause panic. But yet you don't want to condone something that may not be there. But you also don't want to condemn something that's maybe right. For, you know, it's tricky, I'm sure. Because we all know what happened with the war of the world, worlds where all of a sudden people thought something was happening and it wasn't. Um, I'm sure you just have to be careful with all of that um, power when you are uh, a scientist or a doctor or anybody with some sort of public relation um, relations with others that um, you might sway an organization or people to believe, you know. I, st I still find just space um, the subject of space just fascinating and how, you know, they find what they find and how we, we all, you know, I had a friend once say, gosh, I wish I could visit another planet. And I was kind of like, uh, you, you are, we are, we are living on a planet and we're kind of visitors. And it's kind of weird that sometimes we think we're the center of our own universe, but we really, you know, aren't. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think it's interesting. There's a lot of other really great stuff in the book. You know, there's searches going on for other life in, uh, our solar system. The search is over. It's not. Um, the search is not over. But they're searching for oxygen or water. Um, and Avi Loeb says you should search for pollution. Um, because once you find that, you find civilization that has reached to the point that we have. So there are something like 13, it's probably more than this, but 13,000 pieces of space garbage orbiting the planet, like whether it's jettisoned uh, booster rockets, or Safeway bags, and that's probably in the ocean, but uh, oh. uh, old satellites, some things sometimes crash into each other and create more pieces. So there, there's, there's people's jobs that are to label and determine how many pieces of space trash 
are around the earth and this is going to be a big problem in the future there's no way for it to go away right it's it's if it's already in a gravitational thing with the earth it's not going to get too close to the sun and burn up no it's just junk space junk that's going to be a big thing in our future that we're going to hear about um but he was saying search for things like that 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 prove oh there's something there there's also something interesting and almost troubling that he writes in the book about when a civilization is to the point where they have the technology to destroy each other with bombs with when they have the technology to explore other worlds it's usually because they're kind of concerned and worried about the longevity of their own they're in like the final phase of their existence before they destroy themselves because there's almost nothing new to there's almost no other frontier to take over except to destroy and someplace else to take it over well i mean we're looking for other earth-like planets there's many planets and other solar systems that are you know three three away from their star that seem earth-like and so we're searching actively for those because look what we're doing to our own planet. So it's it's even possible, and I'm... Okay, so first of all, if you could name another Earth, what would you call it? Oh, um, Pangea. Because that was when we were all together, before we separated. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. um, um, what are three things you have to have on Earth? Uh, oxygen water and I believe maybe hydrogen mm. I'm probably I'm not you know, I, you know we what? are not experts we need to go to an expert um, no I was thinking the three things that I would I kind of wanted was a Dunkin uh, a Dunkin Donuts um, probably a okay what Am I going the wrong direction? All right, so we're going to talk to Kevin Boyce, who works for NASA, because he's a lot smarter than we are. We're just going to ask him about Oumuamua. Um, and and listen, Kevin Boyce is a great friend of ours, and we'll probably go, we go to way him. back. Yes, we do. And we'll probably go to him with questions about space stuff, because we really don't know anything about it. Um, I read a book. And therefore, I think everything I read is true. But, you know, there's many sides to every story. So I want to get another another side. Um, so we're going to take a break and we'll be right back with Kevin Boyce. So hold on, pass the s'mores, uh, get a little blanket to cuddle under. We'll be right back. Hey, Kevin, how are you? I am good. How are you? Oh, good, good. We are talking today. So today's Ask Kevin segment um, is, is, so we're talking about... Um, is Kevin going to be the guest we just go to every time we don't know an answer to, to like anything and say, well, we're going to ask Kevin. Yeah, that's what we're doing right now. Okay. Um, so we had in 2017, I believe, uh, a visitor to the solar system. Uh, for the first time that we know of, probably not the first time. Um, it's It was called Oumuamua, which is Hawaiian for scout. 
um, it came through our, our solar system and did not obey the laws of our solar system, which is how we knew it was interstellar. Am I getting all that right so far? I believe that's correct. Yeah. Um, there were differences in it than other pieces of usual rock or debris in our solar system, uh, such as that it was shinier than, than normal. Uh, it was either cookie or cigar shaped, probably more likely cookie. Um, but it, it really kind of captured the imagination of everybody. Now, of course, we only saw it like by the time we noticed it, it was like by peace. I'm on my way out. Yeah. Um, and I think I've read that we should be seeing more of these more often as higher powered um, telescopes come online. Um, but can am I, what, what are you, uh, what's your take on Oumuamua? This, or, okay, so Scout was a very <laughs> ominous name to be given to yeah, this thing. You know, you don't, you don't want to give the first thing that comes that, that you can clearly say is from outside the solar system a name like Scout, because that's just giving the writers too much to work with. Well, and, and you know, for somebody like me that grew up in the 80s, I instantly was, you know, thinking of Star Trek um, 4, where uh -huh. the probe comes and it looked just like a cigar, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I remember feeling very much unease that they were going to, like, try to steal our humpback whales or something, you know? <laughs> you know, the poor whales. Yeah, well, and, and I, you know, I certainly remembered uh, Rendezvous with Rama, which I read uh, probably not long after it came out in the, in the mid-70s. Um, and that, you know, well, it, it might be something long shaped like that. And that was the first thing that came to my mind. And, and I think probably to a lot of other people, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think why I, you know, geek out about it is is just like I just want like I wish we would have um, detected it a little earlier, paid a little more attention to it, you know. And but but I, I'm really hopeful that 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 more of this will come to light as we've said um now there's there's lots of other talk about what this could have been um people bring up the fact that it seemed to kind of switch speeds when it was exiting our solar system um there's theories as to why that would be whether it's ice crystals kind of evaporating and and gassing it kind of a little further um but but i uh, and there's there's a book out there that's a little controversial by Mr. Avi Loeb, um, but who who is pretty much the the only one who is holding to the, the this uh, hypothesis that it's uh, it, something other than just a piece of rock. But but I mean yeah, yeah good for him. Yeah, I mean it's another theory. Yep. Um, so so what? It's probably just a piece of rock from a neighboring galaxy, correct? Well, same galaxy, but a neighboring a neighboring star system. Yeah, I mean, almost certainly. Um, uh, but, yeah, galaxy. See, I'm using the improper words. This is why we call <laughs> you different solar system. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's that's probably what it is, um, and it's probably flat, as you as you said, because that it's just there's there's more ways it could be spinning and give the light curve that that we see. What we saw from it if it's flat as opposed to if it's elongated then it has to be aligned just just so um but but we don't know i mean 
why is it that shape? What is it? Is it a is it a, a rubble pile that's just barely holding together? Uh, probably isn't, but you know how how did that come to be? And if we start start seeing more of them, then you'll start to be able to to catalog them and categorize them, and we're certain to learn something more about uh, planetary formation or planetary destruction or you know how these things happen and how often they happen. Um, I'm reminded of the first time, I mean, everybody's heard of pulsars, mm -hmm. um, spinning neutron stars. Well, when they were first discovered, um, they were, it was just this pulsing, steady pulsing coming from, from outside the, clearly outside the solar system, probably outside the galaxy in many cases. What the heck uh, is that? And, and they were originally thought of, you know, they were originally given the name I think on the the first uh, radio detection of it, it wrote um, somebody who was it was it Jocelyn Bell Burnell I think so, wrote um, LGM for Little Green Men because what else could be so regular pulsing with so much power, um, and then we eventually found more of them, um, uh, and again it was the same thing we saw the first one because we put out radio telescopes that could see it. Um, and it's the same thing here. We've got these these all sky um, scanners that can go very deep uh, to deep exposures and see very dim things. And you'll start to see these these kinds of things when when you look for them. Um, so it's cool. Yeah. And and, you know, it's probably not coming for our whales in the end. So uh, which I, I mean, it's good, although there's certain things that it could come for that I wouldn't mind. But yeah. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, maybe it's what if they like mosquitoes, you know, and they're going to soak up all the mosquitoes and eat them for food. Wouldn't or these something? oak mite things that are yeah. biting everybody. There you go. That would be great. Do you guys, do you guys have that out there? I don't think I've had one here. Um, oh God. It's really, it's really disturbing. We've had a lot of ticks, but. Um... The, the bites that these things give are really just, they, they're awful. Um, Anyway, well, that's that's another episode. <laughs> that's um, right. So thank you for uh, for catching us up on Oumuamua. Um, and we will talk to you next time we're perplexed about something. All right, Kev? All right. Thanks. All right. Bye. Thank you, Kevin, for uh, talking to us. Yeah, thanks, Kev. You're the best. Um, I will go back. Just just this one interesting last bit from Avi Loeb. Um, uh, I'll, I'll give him the last word. Um, unless we... And until we obtain additional evidence that Oumuamua-like objects about uh, Oumuamua-like objects, we need to work with what we have, and what we have can be summed up with one repeating theme, and yet it deviated. Oumuamua, a small interstellar object first discovered by humans on October 19th, 2017, uh, I was wrong about the year in the beginning, that was highly luminous, oddly tumbling, and most likely disshaped, deviated from a path explicable by the sun's gravity alone without any visible outgassing. There's your favorite word. All of its properties, very much including its origin and space-time, being 
local standard of rest rendered it a statistical outlier to a highly significant degree. As a member of a population of objects on random orbits, it required much more solid material to be expelled than available in planetary systems around other stars. But if Oumuamua was extremely thin or its orbit was not random, the problem could be alleviated. Overwhelmingly, the scientific community has coalesced around the conclusion that Oumuamua was a naturally occurring object, peculiar, even exotic comet, but still, for all its peculiarities, just an interstellar rock. And yet, it deviated. It is true that we can hypothesize natural phenomena that could explain each of Oumuamua's observed exotic features. There is a statistical possibility, roughly one in a trillion, give or take, that Oumuamua was a unique rock, then ejecting enough material from planetary systems around nearby stars to supply a random population of Oumuamua-like objects becomes even more challenging because now one needs much more material in the form of normal interstellar objects like 21 Borisov. Alternatively, the data allows another hypothesis, that Oumuamua was extraterrestrial technology, perhaps defunct or discarded. In that data is something underappreciated by nearly everyone who has written on the subject. It is the fact that humanity could build, within a mere few years, a spacecraft that would demonstrate every single one of Oumuamua's features. In other words, the simplest, most direct line from an object with all of Oumuamua's observed qualities to an explanation for them is that it was manufactured. The reason most of the scientific community cannot keep comfortable company with this hypothesis is that we didn't manufacture it. To allow the possibility that another civilization did is to allow the possibility that one of the most profound discoveries, that we are not the only intelligence in the universe, has just passed through our solar system. It forces us into a new way of thinking. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. Um, so... I, therein between the two lies the truth somewhere um i don't know i don't think anybody really does but it's it's really an interesting phenomenon that passed through our solar system and i remember being obsessed with it when it was happening and to read this book on it was really interesting i'm not sure you know where my opinion lies in between because i don't think any of us know mm-hmm. but that is oh muamua so, uh, Matt, you chided me for uh, not allowing your three things you want on a new Earth. Why don't you continue them right now? I was going to say, I think the three things I want on the new Earth, and I think my name for the new Earth might just be Earth the sequel. Oh, wow. Or maybe sequel. I was going to say Earth 2. Oh, Earth original. 2. Yeah. Maybe it's just sequel. Maybe it's called sequel. I like that. The sequel. But the three things that we we have to have besides air and water is a Duncan, probably boxed wine. And there was also, like, I remember a uh, Carissa Swanigan Upchurch uh, recipe that involved chicken potatoes and some sort of amazing olive oil parmesan lemon pesto rub sauce and I think if those three things were there the Dunkin' the wine and the, the chicken um, dinner I think we would probably be good to go as long as we can get through all the space junk to get there well if we have chickens can we have eggs for breakfast yeah yeah, that would work. Okay, well, that that serves dual purposes then. Um, all right, well, 
we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please rate, review, subscribe. It's Thank really- you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Yes. Um, Thank you, Avi, for writing this uh, amazing book. It's a really cool cover too. I, I love. I like the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. It's it's a fascinating read. Um, if you want to know more about us, you can always find our website www.connersmithmusicals.com that's Connor with an ER you can find us on Facebook under Connor and Smith again with an ER um hey uh we're almost through the first mega packed week of season two how do you feel excited I'm excited about what do you think the third season's going to be about have we gotten there yet? I don't know. Are we going to are we gonna go, go, be uh, around Christmas? Are we going to go into uh, politics, Mm-mm. religion? No. We should explore different religions. Well, it's going to be around the holidays, so... A craft fair. <laughs> a craft fair podcast. Yeah. So what are you making for Christmas? Well, we did start with crafting. Maybe we should do recipes. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, recipes that are out of this world so we can make it about aliens and recipes I can't my mind reels with your possibilities um, okay all right well as we always say in season two never stop, stop questioning. questioning good night everybody bye